appreciate the invitation to be with you tonight. The White Oak congregation has meant a lot to me through the years, as uh, we've just been mentioned. 27 years I worked up at Big Spring, and that entire time the congregation here helped support the work there, and I really appreciate that. But I'm glad you're here tonight on Wednesday night, and we're going to talk about some things that perhaps uh, we all could almost give this sermon all by yourself. Uh, but uh, the song says, you know, uh, uh, tell me the old, old story, and uh, those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. So we're going to be just reminded of some things that we already know. Begin with talking about an event that happened on May 18, 1980. It happened at 8.32 in the morning. It was the eruption of Mount St. Helens. It was the largest volcanic uh, eruption uh, in the history of the United States. There was about 57 people killed, 250 houses destroyed, several bridges, 115 miles of, uh, no, 15 miles of railway, and about 125 miles of road. They say that during that eruption, during those few seconds that it blew up, that one ton of rock and gravel and debris uh, was blown off the top of that mountain, one ton for every person living. At that time, it's some six billion or so. Just think about that, six billion tons of rock. The top of the mountain uh, was reduced by 1,312 feet. Perhaps maybe some of you remember seeing it on TV. I remember we was at Bible camp out at Nebraska at that time, and I didn't hear about it till we got back, and most of the news was kind of over then, and I didn't get to hear much of it. But there was another event uh, that uh, more recently, 9-11. Do you remember where you were at on the, uh, September the 11th, 2001, when you heard about the towers? I stopped by the uh, uh, church building, and uh, old church building, the Devlet building, and visiting with some of the people that's working there, and they said, have you heard the news? And uh, I said, no, and they told me. So I went home and turned on the TV, and it wasn't long till the second plane hit the second building. And uh, I didn't, I guess, really grasp what was going on, that those hundreds of people on that plane died instantly, and probably several in the building. I continued to watch it, and it wasn't too long till the first tower fell down. All that heat from the burning fuel of the jet weakened the support to that great tower, the top of it fell down and caused the rest of it to fall. Then I continued to watch, and see, this was all live, uh, and the second tower fell. And some, about 3,000, were killed. And just think about, you know, the great uh, power that took to bring down these two great towers. And then uh, on August 6, uh, 1945, that was before I was hatched for you old folks. Some of you may remember it, I don't know. Uh, August 6, 1945, the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. Uh, seemed like I heard like 140,000 were killed instantly. You know, just think about all the destructive power that man has come up with. And whether it's the atomic bomb or planes flying into a buildings or something natural, there is a, indeed a great, great power, destructive power. But just as there's great destructive power, we have something that is more powerful than that, and I'm sure you know what it is. It's the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, of, uh, for it's the power of God to salvation, to everyone who believes, to the Jews and also to the Greeks. 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel, notice singular, and it is the power, singular. The gospel, the power, singular, to unto salvation. And uh, you and I, we became believers in that story of the gospel in Jesus Christ, or I assume we haven't. If you have not yet rendered obedience to that, today is the day of salvation, and I hope that you'll think about uh, becoming a Christian even tonight. But most of us have done that, and I think sometimes we fail to realize the power that's available to us. You know, if we had the power to go out and blow up a mountain, you know, well, we might want to do that. I don't know exactly why but we have something more powerful. Those things that we mentioned are just things to do of, of a natural things, blow up a mountain or blow up a building or blow up a city. But we have something of more of a spiritual nature that, uh, well, uh, the early Christians, they were accused of turning the world upside down by what they preached. Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John and told them that I'll make you fishers of men. When I was a teenager, I went fishing. But we didn't take a, a, a line and a hook and worms or grasshoppers or something like that. We took 22 rifles. Now, that was illegal back then, and I assume it's probably illegal now. But that's been about over 50 years ago, and I've repented that and so forth. But uh, if you want to have some fun and you can find a place where it's legal, get you a carbide light. Everybody know what a carbide light is? Put a few grains of carbide in it and a little bit of water and, you know, and you uh, got a good light. We used to take the old reflectors out of the old cars, the, you know, the one that had the big, big uh, light that sat on the front up on the he- uh, hood or the fenders. We'd take that reflector out and replace the one on the carbide light, and that would make a real huge light. I mean, you could see a long ways with that. Well, we'd take our 22 rifles, and we'd get out stumbling around in the, in the river, and I remember one particular time I saw this big old carp. Now, that's some fancy eating if you like carp. I don't know hardly anybody likes carp. Maybe they do. But I shot it and grabbed it and took it home and so forth. Well, there was about oh, five or six of us guys all running around through the river with our twenty-two rifles. One guy heard one zing by his ear, and he quit fishing. He was probably the wisest of us all. But uh, we think about the power, you know. 22 rifle, you know, if you get close. The fish, a lot of times at night when they're sleeping, I guess they sleep, they'll find them place, uh, you know, this particular big carp I was talking about was resting up on a branch and its back was really out of the water. And uh, sometimes I wonder why we didn't use dynamite. My father had uh, worked on the road uh, and uh, he used, uh, usually there's some dynamite around the house or around the old building or something someplace, but we didn't do that. But power to shoot a fish well good memories kind of some regret regretful memories because shouldn't have been doing that but uh, about the power of you know go out and and catching carp and also uh, we would uh, shoot hog suckers anybody know what a hog sucker is in little old British fish about that long and they're suckers and sucker uh, sucker fish have just nothing but bones not good much for anything except maybe feed your cats but we'd bring home the, the hod suckers and the carp. Really not much good for anything. But what we have of the gospel, it is good for something. It is the power of God to salvation. And also associated with that gospel is something we have as people who have uh, obeyed the gospel is the power of prayer. 
James 5.16 says, The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The New American Standard says it accomplishes much. You know, and we all have access to that. And I wonder how much we use it. This preacher was encouraging the people of the congregation to uh, get involved in evangelism. And he is talking to various people, and he's come across this one lady, and he says, well, what do you do uh, for evangelism? She says, uh, I take my newspaper to bed at night. Well, that kind of caught him off guard. And, and pardon me, what would you say? I take my newspaper to bed at night. Well, he got to thinking, that, well, what do you, how is that involved in, in evangelism? He says, well, before I go to bed, I turn to the obituaries, and I pray for all the families that have lost some uh, loved one. And I turn to the weddings, and I ask God to bless the new couple. And I come to the uh, birth announcements, and I pray for those little babies and for their parents. You know, that lady may have been doing more good than anyone else in the congregation because there's a lot of power in prayer. We're going to be talking about what uh, power, prayer, what that power can do in just a, a few minutes. But a little bit, back up a little bit and tell a story that I know that we all know. Jesus came into Caesarea Philippi and he asked the apostles, Whom do men say that I am? Matthew chapter 16. And they said, well, you are, they say that you're a Jeremiah or Elijah or John the Baptist or one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? And remember what Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you know, well, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father. And he said, uh, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed uh, in earth. Whatever I suppose you said there. <laughs> I think I got it mixed up. But anyway, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in earth, and whatever you bind in heaven will be bound in heaven. Read it, Matthew sixteen nineteen. But... Uh, uh, I will build my church. We're very familiar with that. Jesus said in Mark chapter 9 and verse 1, uh, uh, he says that some of you will not uh, die or taste death until you see the kingdom come with power. Back in Mark, uh, or Matthew 16, where he said, I'll build my church, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. He used the church and the kingdom interchangeable. He says that some of you are not going to die until you see the kingdom come with power. I believe the way the King James says it. We're familiar, just before Jesus uh, returned to heaven, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he says that you will see power when the Holy Spirit came upon you, comes upon you. And Acts chapter 2, it did. The people were all together there, and they said something like a sound of a rushing mighty wind. Not any wind, evidently, but something that sounded like that. And something as a, a cloven uh, uh, tongues of fire. Not exactly fire, but something looked like that. Set upon the apostles, and they began to speak in different languages. The people, uh, some of them said, well, how can we hear these people speak in a language in which we were born? Others said, ah, these people are drunk. Peter says, well, it's, we're not drunk. It's just uh, 9 o'clock in the morning. And then Peter went on to give that famous sermon on the day of Pentecost. He says, this is that which was spoken by Joel the prophet when he was explaining what was going on. And he went on to quote from Joel chapter 2. 
And he closed out that passage saying that whosoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And after quoting Joel, then he went into telling the story of what uh, the, they had done. Less than two months before, uh, when Jesus was there with Pilate, Pilate wanting to give, uh, let Jesus go seemingly, at least offered them opportunity, a man by the name of Barabbas, or Jesus, which one do you want? Give us Barabbas, they yelled. Well, what will to do with Jesus? Crucify him. Crucify him and let his blood be upon us and our children. Well, Peter told them that they had taken the Son of God and by lawless hands they had crucified him. But that was at the end of the story. God raised him up. Peter said that David's tomb is here. Go there, look. You can see some bones. But look at Jesus' tomb. It's empty. Well, the people who had said, crucify him, crucify him, many of them were cut to their heart, and they said, what shall we do? What shall we do? Now, I wonder if they were thinking back to what Joel had said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyway, they realized that they had killed the Son of God, that God had raised him up, what shall we do? And you know what Peter told them, to repent and be baptized. Everyone in the name of Jesus Christ, for their missed sins. Those that gladly heard their word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. People went from crucify him, crucify him, to confessing him and wanting to become one of his disciples. Power to change people. Want to think about that? Well, let's notice how the gospel can change people the jews are a good example of that went from wanting to crucify jesus to wanting him to be their savior saul of tarsus another very familiar story in acts chapter 7 we're introduced to him he is there uh, and the people who were stoning uh, stephen because he was preaching about this christ they laid their garments at his feet then acts chapter 8 begins with him making havoc or just trying to destroy the church he entered in house after house and dragging people out and put them in prison. Seemingly that when he run all the Christians in, out of Jerusalem or at least had them in prison, all except the apostles, he headed towards Damascus. And you recall the story. As he drew near to Damascus, a, a great light shone around him, brighter than the noonday sun. And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, why are you persecuting me? What had Saul been doing? He'd been persecuting the church. Listen there for us. When we mistreat others, we're mistreating Jesus. When we treat Jesus, or treat others the way we should, we're doing good for Jesus. Jesus said that's going to be very important. Matthew chapter 25, when he comes with all of his angels, and he's going to explain why those get to go to heaven. I was hungry, and you fed me, thirsty, and you gave me to drink, and so on. And then those who... Uh, not get to go to heaven, uh, you did not do those things for me. Now, we realize there's more to becoming a Christian, living the Christian life, than to just be good benevolent. But Saul says, what will you have me to do, Lord? Go into Damascus. And there to be told what you must do. Acts chapter 9, then we look at it, Acts chapter 22, and then Acts chapter 26, we get the whole story. Uh, he went in there, he was blind, he was praying for three days. Some people say today all you have to do is just pray uh, to be saved. 
ask the Lord to come into your life or come into your heart or something of that nature. I wonder what Saul was praying. We're not told, but he prayed for three days. But he still had his sins. He still had his sins because when Ananias came and, and told him what to do, he said, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Calling on the name of the Lord. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it's not something we say, it's not something we utter, but it's what we do in obedience to the gospel. So call Saul of Tarsus, he began to be preaching uh, the gospel, what they'd been trying to destroy. What changed his life from being the greatest of the persecutors, perhaps, to being the greatest of preachers next to our Lord? We don't really know exactly except what happened. What happened to him? He saw Jesus. He became a believer. He obeyed the gospel. He believed the gospel. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But the gospel has power to do other things as well. It has power to make enemies friends. Enemies friends. Let's have your Bibles turn to Isaiah chapter 11. This is a passage that's used sometimes by people trying to say, well, when Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom and there's going to be peace on earth and this is what's going to be like here on earth. That's not what Isaiah is talking about. Isaiah chapter 11, beginning with verse 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. A little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the viper's den. They shall not be hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He's talking about what it's going to be like in the church, what it should be like today. Maybe naturally we go out, you know, we see the lion, you know, he wants to kill the, the calf or whatever, and the cobra and the child just don't go together. Uh, we think about that's not, uh, not the way it should be. But in the church, people coming together that once were enemies, once trying to devour each other, once trying to hurt one another, when we come together and we are all as one. Fellowship. What a wonderful thing. The early apostles, they continued in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So think about what it was like when these people, and that's you and I, they may be some people here that uh, you used just to hate their guts, if you forget forgive the term, but now you love them dearly. Uh, maybe you've changed, maybe they've changed, but maybe it's just the gospel has changed both of you, and now good friends. In Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about how that uh, Jesus broke down the middle wall of partition, the middle wall of partition between the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, that was the Old Testament law. Jesus took it out of the way and nailed it to the cross, 
and it says, of the two he made one. Now the Jews and the Gentiles, uh, they've been fighting pretty much ever since uh, going back in Abraham's son's days, you know, and they're still fighting today. Uh, Jews, uh, they were God's chosen people. God chose them that through uh, one of them, the Savior would come, going all the way back to Genesis 3 and verse uh, uh, 15, that seed of the woman would one day bruise or destroy, uh, the serpent's head and has reference to Jesus coming as the seed of woman, Galatians chapter 3. So we think about uh, that the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews considered the Gentiles, well, God made them to fuel the fires of hell. And we have some, some view today how, how the, uh, the Arabs look at all people, I guess, but they hope, hate most of all, I guess, the Jews. Well, we realize today that the Christians, we are spiritual Israel. Uh, the physical Israel, God uh, uh, has nothing left for them except if they become Christians, they can enjoy the great blessings that you and I will enjoy. The gospel, the good story about Jesus and he shed his blood. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about Jesus, you know, that uh, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, the joy of doing the Father's will. Not my will, but your will. But it says there that he despised the shame. He despised the shame. Bible talks about that when he was crucified, you know, the soldiers, they took uh, four of them, each one took a piece of his clothing, and then for the cloak they, they cast their lots. Brother Hugo McCord, some of you may have, may have known him. He, he went on to his roar several years ago now. But he was one of my favorite preachers, uh, such a humble man. But he, I remember saying, I hope my Lord had a fifth piece of clothing. Did you ever think about that? Despising the shame. I don't know if he was naked or not. But the shame, the people go by and saying, well, he saved others, let him save himself. Come down from the cross and we'll accept you. And he had just gone through all of the spitting and the slapping in the face and so forth by the soldiers. Power of the gospel to change people. That blood that Jesus shed, it makes it possible for us to be Christians today washes away our sins. First John 1 and verse 7 says also as Christians, if, condition, we walk in the light as he in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. It keeps on cleansing. As long as we walk in the light, the blood of Christ keeps on cleansing. It took me a long time to realize that that verse is not talking about perfect people because perfect people don't sin. But as we walk in the light, as he is the light, the blood of Christ keeps on cleansing. We cannot be perfect, but as long as we're walking the light, the blood of Christ keeps us clean. Also, that blood of Christ purchased the church. Acts 20 and verse 28, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Some people try to separate the church from, from, uh, from Christ and say, well, uh, I'm not interested in organized religion. I just uh, want Jesus. I was talking to a man, well, one night at the gospel meeting. Uh, 
that he says, you know, well, I don't come to church, kind of paraphrasing what he's saying, much more I just have my services at home, you know, and, and I, I have the Lord's Supper and all of that. And I said, you know, we talked about, well, on occasion it might be that you're unable to come to church, but the Bible also talks about the need for assembling, coming together, that we might uh, provoke one another to love and good works, Hebrews 10 and verse Twenty-five or twenty-four and twenty-five. So the the church that we might have fellowship together. Fellowship. We're going to have a fellowship next Sunday after Sunday morning for services. What you going to bring? Fellowship, food. I like fellowship. But is there not more to that? Is there not more to it than eating? That's a good part. As you read from Acts chapter 2, the early church, uh, they seem to have eaten together daily, not just talking about the Lord's Supper, but they seem to have gathered together on a daily basis. And now sometimes we find a struggle to, you know, make it Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But I'm glad that we're here tonight and having the fellowship. The word fellowship has also the idea of communion. And Jesus, when he was instituting the the Lord's Supper. He says, This is the blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Matthew 26 and verse 28. And when we commune with the Lord, we partake of to remember His body and His blood. His body and His blood. I don't know, you may have seen movies uh, like The Passion of Christ was out, what, 10 years ago or whatever by Mel Goodson, you know, uh, and it showed very big, uh, vividly, I guess, the idea of crucifixion. And I'm sure you've read about it, heard about it, or imagined what it would be like. And the idea that this is my body. My body. I kind of like my body. I wish it was different. <laughs> Taller and slimmer and more hair and stuff like that. Why you like it? But if it comes down to protecting you or my body, if it's just up to me, I'll protect myself. But as a Christian, you know, I will protect you. First John 3 and verse 16 talks about that we ought to lay down our lives one for another. Now, I think that's the idea of loving and fellowship. The fellowship that we have in Christ. The fellowship that made possible because we've all been bought by the blood of Christ. And we have all confessed our faith in Christ. We have all been baptized into Christ to have our sins washed away. And now we're trying to walk in the light. Her, uh, forget his first name. His name was Bird. He was a preacher at Bellevue, Nebraska when he was out there. And I remember in his prayers, he would say, Lord, help us to try to do your will, to try. Well, maybe we need to more just try. But we should have the attitude of uh, young Samuel. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So as we think about the power that's available to us, you know, I don't like to go fishing. It's been many years since I've been fishing. It's been 50 or more since I've been fishing with the 22. And I don't expect to ever do that again. But I hope that maybe I can remember that Jesus says, follow me 
and I'll make you fishers of men. So if we're following Jesus, uh, we should be interested in other people. But it's so hard to do. We're mixed up in the society, the idea that we don't have much time. You know, got an air-conditioned house. If you go over and turn the heat down, you go over and turn the heat up, I don't want to get up. When I was growing up, we had to go out the coal pile and bring in the coal and start build a fire. Had more time back then than do now, but flexing the switch. Go give me a glass of water. Well, go to the refrigerator. We've got one of the doors. Put your glass up there and give you cold water. Used to have to go out to the well and draw it. Maybe some even had to go to the spring and get it. Don't have enough time. Well, the devil's got us confused about that. Afraid I'll be rejected. I believe that is the biggest thing that the devil has gotten us to believe. We don't, none of us want to be rejected. You know, there's something about us. I don't know anybody enjoys being rejected. And we think about uh, sharing the good news. We shouldn't fear being rejected. I've told a lot of people about vinegar. Vinegar is a wonderful, wonderful thing. It can do many things. Just Google it sometime. If you've got a computer, it'll tell you all the purposes of vinegar. But about uh, 15 years ago, when, when we lived up Big Spring, I was in the poison ivy and the poison oak and just a scratching and itching just about all summer. Sometime in the winter, go out and be digging around in the roots. That's even worse. But uh, Sharon, somehow I got the idea, I heard that vinegar would help that. So she bought me some vinegar, and I still keep it, usually sitting by in the bathroom. Uh, if I'm out where I think I may have been in poison ivy or poison oak, I come in and take a bath in straight vinegar and then a good shower. I very, very seldom ever get poison ivy or oak. Vinegar is good stuff. And I've told a lot of people about that. We like to share good news. Maybe you ladies find a good recipe or you men find a good uh, a fishing hole or whatever it is. We like to share that. I don't know why it's so hard to share the gospel. But I appreciate your all's efforts and what you're doing and what you've done through the years and encourage us to do what we can. The power is not in us. We're going to get ready to close by looking at another passage from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55. And notice, first part of it, well, probably all of it's very familiar to us. Isaiah 55, begin with the, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, and my ways are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but they water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, and it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Now, verse 11. So shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I have pleased. It shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. The word of God is living and powerful. Hebrews chapter four and verse 12 and it says God says it's going to do what I want it to do 
It's going to either convict people of their sins and they'll want to do what God says or it's going to condemn them. Jesus said, the words that I have spoken the same shall judge you in the last day. Isn't that going to be wonderful that when we stand before Jesus and we hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because we can earn salvation, not because that we are saved by grace, we're saved by faith, we're saved by a lot of things, even saved by works. Not works where we merit salvation, but works of obedience. And so we look about our, think about ourselves tonight and uh, think about the power of the gospel. I encourage us all to use it in whatever way we can. We need to have stronger faith. Faith comes by hearing. Romans 10, 17, read the gospel more. And then sowing the seeds. Are you sowing the seeds of the kingdom, brother? Will you not tell it today? Send the light. We sing about it. So let's do what we can because we want to go to heaven and we want others. I went over with Ken Willis to the East Lake uh, Senior Citizens Luncheon today. And I think there was one or two besides Ken and Clyde Ann and Sharon and me, two others, he said, that were members of the church. And I saw all these other people. Some, they were singing some songs there, had a visiting singer. And I got to think about all these people, you know, and, and uh, many of them have a lot of faith and think they're going to heaven. How do we tell them? How do we get the good news? We'll do what we can to share it with others. We cannot save everyone. Jesus could not. But if we could save just one, wouldn't that be worth it? But first and foremost, we can't lead someone to heaven if we're not going there ourselves. We can't lead our kids. We can't lead our grandchildren or anyone else. So as we think about what we need to do, first of all, let us examine ourselves. Let's look at ourselves to see if we are in the faith and doing what we should. Sing the song, I've Surrender All, I believe it is. And, uh, boy, that's something to really tough to do. I surrender all. But if we could help anyone in any way to need to respond in a public way, we would love to do so. Let's sing. <laughs>